what a perfect song to start with. That was amazing. That firm foundation of love. Can't go past that. Well, welcome, church. I am so excited to be here today. It's always a privilege uh, to get to preach, and it's always a privilege to try and somehow in words that are never quite enough capture what God's heart is for each of us. And the blessing for me comes from the preparation involved when I get to preach. And I'm a bit of a wordy person, as you've probably gathered, ask my husband. Um, I have way too many words in a day. I have more than my fair share. And when I started writing books, he was thrilled because some of those words got written down rather than spoken. <laughs> so that was awesome. Um, but today, I've also brought in you know, my teacher self because I've been a teacher for 25 years and you kind of don't let that go easily. And um, Michael Fogarty walked in and held up a piece of paper and said, is this your work? It looks like a teacher. Now, if you don't have one of these, it's a fill-in-the-blank exercise for today. Uh, if you want to put your hand up if you don't have one, and Mike's um, there ready to bring it around. Some people just learn better by writing stuff. Okay, some of you are happy to listen, some of you take notes, some of you don't. Whatever works for you. But fill in the blank, can't go past a good one of those as a teacher. So the answers to the blanks uh, are going to come up through the message today. So my message today is something that I'm really passionate about, and it's based on a series that I did in our high school. Uh, I'm the chaplain at Gold Coast Christian College, and uh, every week we hold a chapel program for primary school and a chapel program for high school. And in high school this last term, we've been looking at red letters, wisdom from the words of Jesus. A few years ago, I set myself a challenge. I'd done the Bible in one year. Has anyone done that before? You read the Bible in a year? There's an app, brilliant app for that. I'd done that a couple of times. And I loved it, but you kind of read through really quickly because the sheer volume you have to get through to get through the whole Bible in a year, it's quite a lot in a day. And so instead, I decided to do a deep dive into the words of Jesus. And I have a theory that I haven't totally proven yet, and I haven't done a deep enough dive into it to know for sure, but my suspicion is that even if the only thing that you had in your possession were the literal words of Jesus, that would be enough. That would be enough for you to understand God's heart for you. It would be enough to understand the plan of salvation. It would be enough for you to understand what he's done on, on our behalf. And it would be enough for you then to make a decision to follow him. So I love looking at red letter words. And today, I'm gonna to be looking at a particular section that I have called sheep, wolves, and fruit. Interesting little combination there. And it comes from a section of the Bible in Matthew 7. Now this whole section is a really big section in red. If you've got a red letter Bible, you're gonna be turning about six pages. Okay, it's going to be three double-sided pages of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded passage of Jesus' words. And there's no interruptions. So it's just like a sea of red on the page. And there's so many nuggets of wisdom in that. You could spend probably a year just unpacking the words of the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to focus on the section from, uh, in chapter 7 from verses 15 to 20. Now, 
When we look at a section of what Jesus is saying, and in fact, anywhere in the Bible, it's really good to put it in context because people can cherry pick sections. Have you ever had something taken out of context that you've said? When someone comes in on the tail of end of a conversation and goes, wait, what? What did you just say? It's like, no, 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 it's not that. I promise. This happened beforehand and then I said that. And they go, oh, yeah, I get it. We need to do the same thing with our Bible study because all of the words that are written came in a context of a particular place and time and culture. And when we locate that in the context of even the narrative, like where it is in relation to other things that are written, we understand it more. So there were quite a few things not working now. There were quite a few things that were covered in chapter 7. Now, I haven't got all of them, but before what we're going to be talking about, you'll get the answer to that in a minute. But Jesus also talks about... And if you seek, you'll find, and if you knock, the door will be answered. He also talks about the golden rule. Kids, what's the golden rule? Oh, Oh, yes, you're on the right track, Rose. Yes, do to other people. So treat other people the way you want to be treated. That is the golden rule. Then we have a bit of a teaching on the narrow gate, which is basically saying, (laughs) don't expect walking with Jesus to be easy. It's going to be like going through a narrow gate. It's going to be tough. There are going to be challenges that come your way. Then we have our little bit, which we'll come back to. And then it goes on to concerning self-deception, which is basically saying, you better know yourself really well because there are going to be people who say, Lord, Lord, what about me? And he says, I never knew you. And that's not a threat. It's not something to be scared about. It's something that says, be self-aware. Have an awareness about who you are, where you're at what challenges you have. And then it comes down to hearers and doers. So there are going to be some people who hear the word and don't do anything. And there are going to be some people who hear it and do it. And that's the kind of people we want to be. So right smack bang in the middle of all of this, we have this story about a tree and its fruit. That's your first fill in the gap. A tree and its fruit. Now, trees feature quite heavily throughout Scripture. I love trees. I absolutely love trees. In fact, I've got this real thing about dead trees. You know how you get that landscape where it's just like a a paddock or there's a sunset and there's just this silhouette of a tree? Oh, I just love it. But I also love those um, big Morton Bay figs, are they? The ones that have got the massive root systems and you've got the giant boughs and oh... There is something life-giving about trees. So I don't think it's, it's by accident that Jesus uses a tree to teach. So we're going to be looking today at a tree and its fruit. This section starts off with a warning. And it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Isn't that a beautiful description, powerful description? Not someone we'd like to come across. Ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns? Are figs from thistles? Huh. So this good fruit, bad fruit, good tree, bad tree that we're going to be getting into is prefaced by this section about false prophets. 
So what are false prophets? How do we know what they are? What were they back then? What does that mean for us today? Now, I, um, I'm doing my theology degree at the moment, and my very first subject that I did was Greek. And the reason I did it was because I had... Blake's laughing because he knows my pain. I did it first because I'd heard horror stories about it. And out of all the subjects you have to do in your theology degree, that is probably the one that most people fail. Greek is hard. It's another language. It's an old language. And yet, for me, as a lover of words... Oh my goodness, it's amazing. I just love it so much. And Blake's like, I don't understand. <laughs> so if we have a look at wolves in sheep's clothing, we have to have a look at this idea of what the Bible, the Greek word in the Bible is pseudo-prophet. We know the word pseudo. It's like fake. We know that. So these words in the Bible have actually made their way into our language and have just been translated into English. But the actual Greek word is pseudo, so a pseudo-prophet. And when you do some reading around that, you come up with three major kind of ideas, that they're a prophet of lies. So they might be speaking, but what they're speaking is a lie. The other one is that they falsely claim to be a prophet from God. So it's not necessarily the words that they say that are wrong, but... It's who they claim to be while they are speaking that is wrong. And the final one is just that whole idea of being a bogus prophet. Now, this is the next one in your little filling the gaps. For a pseudo-prophet, we've got then those two elements. Someone who pretends to be a prophet of God. Okay, So someone who claims to be representing God, who claims to have a message from God, and yet it's actually not. That's a really tough one because how do you know? How do you know? How do we judge that? Because I know looking at the Bible, there were people who were absolutely prophets of God and no one listened to them. And they were called false prophets when in fact they were real prophets. So they pretend to be a prophet of God, but that probably comes back to motivation. How do I know what someone's motivation is? I can't sit here and say, well, you haven't been called by God. How do I know that? So that's actually a pretty tricky one. How do we know if someone is pretending to be a prophet of God? And the other aspect of it is they proclaim what is false. Now, that one's probably easier to address. If you've got your Bible and you know God's heart and you know the way God works in the world, this one's maybe not so hard to to pick out. It's a bit like um, some of those modern philosophies that we get, particularly uh, young women, get targeted a lot by these influencers, okay? TikTok, Instagram, and they're having yoga retreats and they're drinking their organic smoothies and they're talking about the goddess within. It's true. Now, not too hard to work out that a goddess within does not match with the Bible, okay? Not, not too hard to work that out. You have to forgive me for this story. I was very young. I'm going to say that straight up. I was 21, 22 maybe. Mike and I hadn't been married very long, and we were living in Victoria, and we were living in this little unit in, like it was a standalone little villa type thing, 
And one day these people came knocking on the door, and this is like 23, 24 years ago now, so people knocking on your door wasn't quite so strange. And it was people selling security stuff. Have you ever had them come to your door? Oh, look, we just want to do a presentation. And, and they said, this was the clincher for me, we'll give you two free movie tickets. And we were broke. <laughs> we didn't have any money. And I went, if all I have to do is sit and listen to these people try and sell me something that I know I'm not going to buy for two movie tickets, I'm there. So I rang Mike and said, you need to be home by 6 o'clock on this night. These people are coming around. It's going to be an hour. We're not going to buy anything, but we're going to get free movie tickets. We can do date night. That'll be awesome. So, again, I was very naive. And so they rock up at the house, and this guy comes in, and he sits down at our kitchen table, and he pulls out this flip chart, and it's like an A-frame type chart, and it's got the pictures on it, and he's flipping through. And he starts off, and it's kind of all going pretty well, and he's starting to talk about security and, and the crime rate in our area in Burwood East in Victoria, just on the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, and he's talking about how many people in the area have had their particular screen doors and window fittings fitted and all of this. And then things started to turn. And he says to Mike, how much do you love your wife? And then he says, you know, showed a picture like this, we've had many women at home by themselves, just, you know, studying or, or working at night, just sitting at the table and you don't know when there's going to be someone at the door. And, and how would you feel? Do you want your wife to be in that situation? How would you feel? And suddenly, this became a wolf in sheep's clothing. This became someone trying to manipulate us. I did not like it <laughs> at all. And I think in the end, I said, stop. I've had enough. Don't care about your movie tickets. Mike, can you grab me a glass of water, please? Don't care about your movie tickets. I'm not listening to this anymore because you're a wolf in sheep's clothing. You're here telling me you're doing something to help me. You're not helping me. You're guilt-tripping my husband into saying that if he loved me, he's going to spend $4,000 that we don't have on your product. That was my experience of a wolf in sheep's clothing. But they were peddling lies and I could see it. Then the next part in the story, in Matthew 7, goes on to good and bad fruit. And this is where we get, I suppose, the information we need in order to be able to assess who's the false prophet. This is how we work out who we can trust. Thank you. Who likes bananas? Oh boy, I feel sorry for you. Okay. This is what a banana is supposed to look like, yeah? Okay, not bad. I use them in my smoothies. I do eat them now. I didn't used to. And that's because of something that happened to me when I was about four years old. My mum and dad were out in the garden. We had a lovely little garden in Tassie. And mum and dad spent quite a lot of time, I think because they didn't have any money, but they grew their own veggies. And so they'd be out there with the veggie patch. And, and on a Sunday, they'd be out there just weeding and fertilising and putting down mulch and all of that. And I can remember being four years old and I was hungry, and I'd probably said to mum, I'm hungry, and she's just said, give me five minutes, I'll go and make lunch. 
But instead, I decided to go inside and help myself. And there was a fruit bowl in the middle of our table. And I grabbed a banana off that fruit bowl that day, except it didn't quite look like this. It looked more like that. And at four, I was not clever enough yet to realise that that banana is only good for banana bread or smoothies. And so I peeled that banana and I took a couple of bites of that mushy, overly strong banana. Oh my goodness, I felt so sick. And I'm now 46 and I made myself one day about five years ago try to take a bite of an actual banana and it was all I could do. Just, I can have it in things now. Up until probably five years ago, I couldn't even have it in anything. But that's because it was bad fruit. And that was my experience of bad fruit, and that experience stayed with me. So I can relate when Jesus is talking about good and bad fruit. And he keeps going in verse 17 of saying, in the same way, so in the same way as uh, grapes don't come from thistles, remember that bit at the last bit, and um, so thorns don't produce fruit. In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. There's lots of bads and goods in there, but I'll explain why they're in there in a minute. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. Now, I heard somewhere recently that if you use Greek in your sermon, you're just showing off. And I can promise you that's not what I'm doing. Because when you get into the original language, sometimes things suddenly become deeper. It's like layers of an onion. And I decided to have a bit of a deep dive into what the Greek is behind this, because you've got lots of goods and bads and rah, 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 and I'm like, oh, let me look up those words. I made a discovery that actually added to the depth of this for me. And what it is, is there's two different words used for good. So in English, we've translated good and good. And there's two different words for bad. And in our translations, it says bad and bad. But they actually mean different things. So the first word, now that funny hieroglyphics, that's Greek. And that says agathos. Okay? And that is the word for good. But it's not just any kind of good. And that's why this matters. This is on your sheet. That kind of good is the essential goodness of God. So when it says a good tree, that word good in there means the essential goodness of God. It's like God's character. In the Bible, when they are describing God, they use the word agathos. He is a good God. He's the essence of God. So the tree, it's not just a good tree. It's a tree with the essence of God, and it's functioning totally the way that it should. That's what that means in this passage. Now, the good fruit... It has fine characteristics. That's the word kalos. Kalos means good as well. So the fruit is good. It has fine characteristics. But more than that, it's useful. Can you see how that adds layers to our understanding? We're not just talking about a good tree and some good fruit. We're talking about a tree that is operating in the essence of God. And it's producing fruit that has fine characteristics, but more than that, it's useful. I just feel that that adds so much depth to good. 
You know, I've read that passage so many times and yet I've never fully understood what it was actually saying. In the reverse, bad. So a bad tree. Sapros is the word. It actually means decaying. We talk about bad fruit. I ate a bad banana. It's decaying or rotten. That's what that tree is. It's not just bad. It's decaying. It's bad right through to the inside. It's dying. It's hollowed out. The fruit itself, the word for that is poneros. Useless. Can you see how Jesus chose these words? We have useful fruit, the good fruit, compared to useless fruit. And it's with serious faults. So the result is worthless. When I realized that, I got all excited. Because I'm like, that's what this means. This is more than just good and good and bad and bad. It is so much more than that. So in the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Can you see how if we put into that passage, our new understandings, it would increase our understanding of that. Here's my version. In the same way, every tree that is the essential goodness of God bears fine, useful fruit. But the decaying, rotten tree bears useless, worthless fruit. A tree that is the essential goodness of God cannot bear useless, worthless fruit. Nor can a decaying, rotten tree bear fine, useful fruit. Does that help? Does that help? I know it helped me. How do I know good fruit? How do I know bad fruit? Well, I look at the tree. I look at the trees that are operating in the essence of God. Or is there decay? Is it rotten? Then I look at the fruit. Is it useful? Is it fine? Is it good? Or is it useless and has serious faults that make it worthless? Anyone see this lady recently? Yes, Tom knows who she is. Nicola McDermott. She got silver in the high jump for Australia at the Olympics. Now, Olympics happened to be during lockdown, which was great because we could just have the TV on and all be sitting working and I could still be watching the Olympics and I love it. This girl, you talk about good fruit... I spotted her without knowing anything of her story as she was waiting to jump. I hadn't even heard anything about her, knew nothing about her. And I looked at her and said, that girl's a Christian. Because there was something about her. There was this glow in her face. When all the other competitors are up there and they're getting ready for their jump and they're psyching themselves up and they had this tension and aggression anger almost and they're getting the crowd behind them and and it was like they were going into battle and they would jump and some of them would do really well and then Nicola McDermott gets up and she stands up there at her mark eyeing two meters high for high jump and she stands there and she does this and she looks up to heaven And this peace and joy just radiated through that woman. 
It was absolutely astounding. Then they zoom in and you see she's got Jesus written in texta on her wrist. At the end of every jump, she had a little book that she wrote in and the media are so nosy. So they're trying to see what's in her book. And as she's writing, there's a page and there's a picture that she's drawn of the cross. This girl has an amazing testimony. If you haven't seen it, look her up. But she radiated joy. She radiated peace. She radiated God's love. That is fruit. And I could see that through a television screen. It was one of the most remarkable things I have ever seen. So fruit is incredibly important. But now comes the hard bit. So what? So we know fruit. We can see it in other people. That's great. What do we do about it? Well, sometimes it means sitting back and watching. If we're not sure whether someone is a good influence in our lives, if we're not sure whether someone is actually speaking truth and life into our lives, sometimes you might need to just wait a little bit longer. Because trees don't grow overnight. Trees take a long time to mature. Sometimes we may need to back off a little bit from a friendship. I'm not talking about abandoning people. I'm not talking about condemning people. I am talking about being wise enough to stop and look at someone and think, what is the fruit of their life? We all make bad decisions. This is not a one bad decision thing. That's not what this is. This is a pattern of behavior or a growth of somebody towards things that are good or towards things that are destructive. Sometimes in friendships, I give advice to students that I counsel. And one of them is, if your friend is always being mean to you, are they really your friend? And honestly, the same thing applies to adults. If someone's always being mean to you, are they really your friend? Or are they being like a false prophet? Are they being a wolf in sheep's clothing? And that is a really, really tough thing sometimes for kids to decide. And it's sometimes really hard for us adults to decide. I know there's been times in my past where people who I've counted as dear, dear friends, over a period of time, I've been really disappointed and hurt and let down when I've realized the fruit actually isn't good fruit. It's been destructive fruit. It's been fruit that's been designed to tear me down. And that's been really confronting. And it's all really well and good for us to sit back and be looking at the people around us. And we need to do that. Don't get me wrong. We need wisdom. We need discernment. We need to be um, actively cultivating the great relationships in our lives, investing in those whilst supporting and loving people who we may realize aren't great for us to be really close to, but we can still support and love them. We don't need to condemn them. That's not what this is about. But sometimes that circle that we have, they might need to be in you know, a circle back from the center of our lives. Sometimes if people hurt you consistently, maybe they're not a safe person for you to bear your soul to. And it's okay for you to go, actually, I need to take a step back from that relationship. But that's the easy part. Because the hard part is, what about me? What about the fruit in my life? What kind of tree am I? That one's not quite so comfortable to answer. It's really easy when we can make the bad tree someone over here. 
Not so great when we see that part of me has that rotting and decaying tree. And maybe the fruit that I showed somebody wasn't good fruit. There's a couple of beautiful quotes. And I want you to think about these concepts. So we are not just called to be able to identify good and bad trees and bad fruit. That's not what this is about. Jesus didn't say this just so we could go around going, you're a bad tree, you're a bad tree, oh, you're a good tree, you're a bad tree. That's not what this is. Yes, we are called to identify that. Jesus says, beware, be cautious, go in with your eyes open. This is the hard bit. We are called to be a good tree with good fruit. Oh, I don't like that one so much. That might require something of me. Fruits are good only if they grow and ripen on this basis of divine repentance. Isn't that beautiful? Divine repentance. Sorry, God, I messed up. That was the rotten tree part of me. I had bad fruit in that situation, God. And my heart really hurts over that. How can I make things right? Forgive me. These images do not merely present us with good and bad trees and fruits. They are a summons to man and woman to participate in the kingdom of God by, here's another Greek word, metanoia, or metanoia, repentance, conversion and thus to be a good tree with good fruit. We cannot read this and not be convicted that there is something in us that needs to change too. Because what if we are the false prophet sometimes? What if we are the bad tree sometimes? And what if when you look back over the pattern of your life and you're really honest with yourself, you go, I think there's been more bad fruit than good fruit. I know there's been seasons in my life where I look back and I'm not proud. I am so not proud of how I behaved, the things I said, how I conducted myself. We are supposed to participate in the kingdom of God through repentance and conversion and become a good tree with good fruit. So, of course, that leads to the next step of how to be a good tree. That's kind of the logical progression of this. So how do we be a good tree? Now, you're probably expecting me to come up with these three, you know, have a strong root system, be connected to your church, feed on the right nutrients, listen to worship music, read your Bible, grow up towards the sun, never stop pursuing good things. They're all great. And I believe that they are part of our Christian journey. And those disciplines that the Bible talks about of prayer, those disciplines of meeting together, the disciplines of communing with God, they're great things. But that's not how we grow a tree. This has been really hard for me because I'm a doer. I'm a doer by nature. If there's a problem, I will find some way where I can do something to fix it. But the reality is I can't grow into a good tree by trying hard. I just can't. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I am them bear much fruit because apart from me, 
you can do nothing. That's how you grow into a good tree. For those people who are type A personalities who are always doing, huh, you should need to stop doing. You need to start being. I wear a necklace that has engraved on it, on a heart, the words, be mine. And that is because at a time of soul searching three or four years ago, I went to a Christian writers conference and I sought God in a way that I'd never sought him before. And on a prayer walk with God, I stood there with my arms outstretched and said, God, what do you want me to do for you? I will do anything for you. You tell me what you want me to do. I don't know. Do you want me to worship lead? Do you want me to write? Do you want me to teach? What do you want me to do? He spoke to my heart and said, I don't want you to do anything, just be mine. And that is why I wear this, because it is a reminder to me every day, this overachieving, driven self of mine who just wants to be good at stuff, that that doesn't make a good tree. What makes a good tree is being his. I don't have to do anything. I just have to be his. And he will meet me wherever I'm at. I have to remind myself of that often because it's actually really, really hard. So how to be a good tree? Get connected to Jesus. He's the vine. If you're not connected to him already, today's the day. All you have to say is, Jesus, I want you to be in my life. I want to be connected to that vine then you need to stay connected to Jesus. It's not going to be a straight line relationship. You're going to feel like sometimes you're further away. You're going to feel like sometimes you've lost that first love that you had, but you can always come back to it. Well, ever there is breath, there is life. It is never too late to say, I'm going to stay connected to you. I choose that today. And then you need to invite him to do the holy work in you. Invite him into that space within you where you can sit and acknowledge the decaying, rotten parts of yourself that you know you can't change. Because in him, those parts change. Because he is the vine. We are the branches. He is the source of all that good fruit. (laughs) I have a lemonade tree at my house. I picked this this morning. It's beautiful. They're sweet and juicy, they're good fruit. What did this tree do to grow? Did the tree decide it was gonna put down good roots? No. Did the tree decide it was gonna bud and flower and be pollinated and grow into a fruit? No. It just did what its divine purpose was. And that was stay connected to the Creator. God grew this fruit, not me, not the tree. And it's the same in our own lives. God is in the business of growing us. But it's not through anything we do, it's through being with Him. And today that's my challenge to me and my challenge to you. Are you connected to the vine? If not, what's stopping you? If you have been connected to the vine and you're not sure you are now, commit to staying connected. 
and invite God into your heart to do that holy work in you of transformation. By their fruits, you will know them. We are all called to be good trees, to be trees that are the very essence of God. And that's when you step into that holy calling of becoming exactly who God's called you to be. It's not about doing anything, it's about being someone. And being someone is no matter where you're placed, doesn't matter your workplace, doesn't matter what job you have, doesn't matter what house you live in, doesn't matter what car you drive. It is being the person God has called you to be and He will use you in any of those circumstances. And when you are abiding in Him, you will bear good fruit because you're connected to the vine. You don't have to work at it. It's a natural product. I want to pray for you now. And if you're heart needs to be connected to Jesus today. And if you haven't made that decision before, I invite you to respond. I invite you to raise your hand when we pray as an acknowledgement that you want to be connected to the vine. And if you are connected or have been connected to the vine, but you feel like you've drifted a bit, and if you want to stay connected, if you want to renew that commitment, I want you to raise your hand as well. Say, God, I want to stay connected to that vine. I can't do it on my own, but I want to be a good tree and I want to bear good fruit. And if you want to invite God into your heart to do the work that He needs to do in you that you can't do by yourself to bear fruit, I invite you to raise your hand as well as we pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for the beauty of your words. I thank you for the wisdom that is contained in those red letters. Lord, I thank you for your heart for us. And Lord, that heart for us isn't that we are going to do anything, but it's going to, we're going to be someone. And that someone is a person connected to you. Lord, today I pray for those people whose hearts have been touched by you, Lord, that they need to get connected to you. I pray for an outpouring of your spirit, Lord, upon them. May you show up in their lives in an undeniable way so that they can see you and feel you and hear you every day, Lord. Lord, I pray for those people who feel like they need to stay connected to you. Maybe they've gotten busy, maybe they've gotten distracted, maybe they've gotten hurt, Lord. And I just pray that you will also reveal yourself to them. Bring back that first love, Lord. Help them feel what it was like to be on fire for you, to know that they are standing on holy ground and that you are there with them. And Lord, I pray for every person with their hand raised today who has invited you to do the holy work in them. Lord, make us good trees, we pray. Help us to be the essence of you in this world. And may the fruit that we produce, not through us, Lord, but through the work you're doing in us, May it be fine, may it be beautiful, and may it be useful, Lord, in loving a world who desperately needs love. These things we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.